from the Good to the Last Drop studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another Wide Awake episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. Coffee grounds are bad for plants. Coffee grounds are good for plants. I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss how to use coffee grounds correctly in your garden. Plus, what's new at this year's Philadelphia Flower Show. And your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and wonderfully wacky Wayne's coatings. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you turning your hydrangeas blue with a cold cup of dark roast right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up soon, a preview of this year's Philadelphia Flower Show, which will run March 2nd to the 10th at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Also coming up in the question of the week, a lot of realities about coffee grounds that have been the subject of tall tales and rumors seemingly as long as there's been coffee around. So I guess we should take a fabulous phone call at 888-492-9444. Sharon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Sharon. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. And where is Sharon really good? I'm in Aston, Pennsylvania, Delaware County. Okay, you know, not that, not all that far from Philadelphia. Oh, no. And, uh, okay, what can we do you for? Well, I have a large property with a backyard of about 6.5 yards and uh, long and five yards wide in size. Most of it's lawn, and I'm baffled as how to landscape it. Um, and I was hoping that you could recommend landscape, maybe landscape ar- architects, organizations, books, and other local resources that I could tap into to help me design the garden. Um, well, I, I don't think you need to, you don't have a lot of room, right? Well, I have a large backyard. It's uh, it's quite a ma- uh, quite a large space back there. Um, I have a side yard, um, but I do want to plant perennials and enjoy maybe uh, some uh, vegetable gardening on the side. I do have a small four by eight raised bed. And I'm hoping to do maybe some vegetable gardening in there. Gardening in there. Good. But uh, I have an island garden in the middle of the backyard, and that's that's just the backyard, the property. What's an island garden? 
it's it's an oval shaped garden about 12 by 13 um in the middle of the land in the back so what i'm saying to to you is the property sorry feet 12 by 15 feet feet yeah okay and it's already oval how is the oval defined i have a small pathway into the oval and in the middle of the oval, I have a pathway going uh, to either side, just sm- a small pathway so I can get in there to garden the uh, the perennials that I want to put in there. Okay, but do you have any perennials in there yet? Not yet, no. Okay. Um, and surrounding this is lawn? Yes, lots of lawn. Okay, well... An oval uh, immediately makes me think of a Japanese garden uh-huh. where you would have some sort of central feature, um, you know, a statue of the Buddha, a miniature temple up on a riser, and then around it, you would spread sand and then you would rake the sand in the right kind of circles. You can look this up. And then when you're happy that the circle is big enough, you can plant the outskirts with perennials that would fit into that landscape. Um mm. You know, we just had someone on the show talking about night-blooming flowers, and that's a big tradition in traditional uh, Japanese gardens. But there are also many others. And the reason I, you know, recommend this kind of, uh, God, ninja garden, for lack of a better word, Buddhist garden, um, Buddhist ninja, that doesn't work. No, does it? doesn't work at all, Uh, but a serenity garden and have plants surrounding it. Uh, They don't have to be Japanese by birth, so to speak, but they need to complement the oval you've created. And uh, this will be a remarkable place uh, for peace, for reflection, uh, for meditation, um, just for getting away from the world we live in for an hour or so. So I would also suggest um, outside of the circle uh, some furniture, maybe a bench or two, maybe a comfy chair or two, something like that. And then you'd be working with the circle. You know, the circle is there. The circle is telling you something. Now, for the actual plants, I want you to do two things. I want you to contact your local extension office. Um, Every county in Pennsylvania has a local office of the statewide agricultural extension system, and they can give you a list of plants that would accent this kind of a 
a peaceful Japanese Buddhist garden. And you got to, uh, do you have a relationship with any of the nurseries around you? Yes. Um, well, we do have like only two close by that I can think of. Well, there's Wayside and there's uh, Lynn Villa. They have plants. Um, and then there's a small, they're small ones. And then there's uh, up the street, there's, um, uh, I forget the name of the place, but uh, I go there uh, to get plants. Okay. All right. So I know the two you did name. They're very good. Um, what you want to do is go there with your extension lists and start talking to them as soon as you can. Um, they're probably going to close down by the time um, we hear this on the air. Um, but as soon in the spring as you can, go to them with the lists and see what they can supply or what they can get in for you and ask them um, in return to bring the plants to your property and install them. So, because they've been doing this forever and they're going to make good choices and hopefully they're going to plant them well. Okay. So, good. is that okay? Yeah. And uh, for the rest of your property, again, um, look up hardy perennials um, for your county and then go to that garden center, establish a relationship, tell them you're going to get all your plants there if they will give you some planting assistance and just general plant selection insistence, assistance. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, great. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. I'll work with that. And uh, that's uh, that help. That helps me because I was thinking too big. Yes. Yes. And the small space you're working with um, will enhance the look of uh, the, me let's call it the meditation garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. All right. My pleasure. Um, all right. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Let's take a break and do an in the news for you. This is a weird one, cats and kittens. It's not exactly about gardening, but it is about the environment and it's science fiction wacky. Um, the headline from the New York Times in a story by Kara Buckley, could a sunshade cool the planet? With Earth at its hottest point in recorded history, Humans are struggling to find a way to fix that and lower the planet's temperature. 
One idea is to create a huge sunshade. I'm not making this up and send it to a faraway point between the Earth and the sun to block a small but critical amount of solar radiation, enough to counter global warming. Scientists have calculated that if just shy of 2% of the sun's radiation is blocked, that would be enough to cool the planet by 2.7 degrees and keep Earth within acceptable margins of climate control um, hopes. This idea has been at the outer fringes of conversations about climate solutions for years. But as the crisis accelerates, interest in sun shields has been gaining momentum, with more researchers offering up variations. There's even a foundation dedicated to promoting solar shields. Now, a recent study led by the University of Utah explored scattering dust deep into space, while a team at MIT is looking into creating a shield made of, quote, space bubbles, whatever that means. And then last summer, an astronomer at the Institute for Astronomy at the University of Hawaii published a paper that suggested tethering a big solar sun shield to a repurposed asteroid. I think we bring in Bruce Willis at this point. Now, scientists led by a physics professor and the director of the Asher Space Research Institute say they're ready to build a prototype shade to show how the idea would work. Now, to block the necessary amount of solar radiation, the shade would have to be about 1 million square miles. That's roughly the size of Argentina. A shade that big would weigh at least 2.5 million tons. Too heavy to launch into space by itself. So the project would have to involve a series of smaller shades. They would not completely block the sun's light, but rather cast slightly diffused shade onto Earth. The team is ready to design a prototype shade of 100 square feet and is seeking between 10 million and 20 million to fund the demonstration. And, of course, there's naysayers who are worried that, you know, meteor showers and space debris are going to rip it apart. Um, But I found this idea, Isaac Asimov, fascinating. Wouldn't it be amazing if science were actually able to solve its own problems? And again, this is almost word for word from an article originally appeared in the New York Times by Kara Buckley. Now, you know a girl lived down there, and she'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it, cat home and cook it for supper. And if she had any left over, she'd dry it out and smoke it. But she did all right.
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and warn everybody not to start the seeds of summer crops too early. Forget about your last average frost date. You want to time your tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant to be six to eight weeks old when nighttime temperatures are reliably in the 50s. But don't go dividing Punxsutawney Phil's prediction by the square root of the Farmer's Almanac just yet because we'll be right back with the Philadelphia Flower Show and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host. Coming up later in the show, we will destroy some myths, and there are a lot of them out there, about how to use coffee grounds in the garden. Are they acidic? Are they neutral? Do they kill slugs? Do they kill earthworms? Many, many questions have been asked, and we'll answer as many of them as we can when we get to the question of the week. But now it's time to bring on our special guest, Beth. Beth. <laughs> I think that's because your name was coming up, Seth. Seth Pearsall, um, who is uh, the creative director of the Philadelphia Flower Show, which opens, I believe, on March 2nd of this year. And long-term listeners and Basic Philadelphians of all stripes realize that the flower show timing is set to protect us, to rescue us from February, from winter, and assure us that springtime is on its way. So, Seth, welcome to You Bet Your Garden again. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here and uh, a longtime fan. Very excited to chat with you about the flower show today. Very good. So let's start with you've sent out some uh, wonderful illustrations. Uh, I don't know what, what exactly you called them. Renderings. Renderings. Yeah, that has a bad reputation from my childhood <laughs> when my grandparents lived in a bad neighborhood. Ah. But, uh, yeah, these are beautiful artworks. And let's start with the entrance. Uh, You guys have always tried to put on a great entrance to the flower show uh, to get people ready uh, for the rest of the major exhibits. And this year, uh, you are boasting the largest water exhibit in the history of the flower show. 
That's correct. Uh, giant water element, um, sort of three big ponds, one massive pond in the center, and then on the left and the right side of that pond, uh, two swat smaller water elements. Um, and uh, within those water elements, these beautiful uh, floral sculptures really kind of resting right in the water to very, very cool effect. And then, of course, overhead is a massive uh, floating floral cloud. So, you know, really kind of accentuating symmetry and just this big, placid, tranquil, uh, you know, reflective water feature with all these great floral elements. I like the cloud. Uh, to me, it appears to be cherry blossoms. Am I close? You're close. Uh, the cloud will be preserved baby's breath, the longevity and some of the mechanics, but the back wall right behind the cloud is uh, all flowering cherries in flower. Uh, you could tell by this image that pink, pink and orange are kind of the two main colors this year. So everything's really driving this. You know, it's gray outside. We are ready for spring. We're done with winter. This is going to be an absolute festival of color for the eye. Great plant material, beautiful uh, blooming plants and trees. And uh, am I correct in that the water feature will not specifically feature plants that grow in the water? Because that's a very small segment. Correct. Not this year. This year we went with, we talked about it. We talked about um, lilies and other various things um, in the in the water element itself. But overall for the design, we thought big stately floral sculptures that seemingly rest on the surface of um, of the water were far more interesting. And I'll give a shout out to Chanticleer. Any garden lover who's ever been to Chanticleer and has seen their tranquil little containers with the beautiful, you know, buds and blossoms literally sitting right at the water's level in these beautiful compositions. Those were some of the inspiring images for that. So you know, we liked the way they arranged it sitting right on the water and really composed it. And that was a uh, an inspiration for what we'll be doing in the water for the garden this year. And I have to add, as a former uh, designer and presenter of major exhibits, uh, water on the floor made everybody uh, nervous. Oh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's still making us nervous. Uh, we, you know, anytime you work with water, Water is a tricky, a tricky element. It's beautiful, and it really does something to a garden space, as we all know. But, yeah, we, on the back end, the production team, the operations team, we think we have it figured out, but every time I've also done water, it behaves <laughs> uh, in unpredictable ways. So, yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're excited, but we're a little nervous on the back end, too. But uh, water, no, finds, water finds its exit. So, oh, it really um, does. It really I'll does. Be, I'll be very impressed if it's all staying where it's supposed to be. <laughs> yes, I think, we're, I think we've got it. We've taken every precaution. So, um, but that's part of the thrill of building these uh, crazy temporary exhibits and really trying to elevate them each year. Seth, isn't that what the players don't want to hear in a science fiction movie? We've taken every <laughs> precaution. You know what, Mike? You're right. And uh, and now you've got me on record as saying that. My teams will probably record this in front of me and say, well, we heard it, Seth. You said we, we nailed this thing. So you're right, Mike. You got me. Yeah, tell them to play you on a loop. 
know. <laughs> <laughs> you said it right here, Seth. You promised, right? That's All right, funny. let's move on uh, to another uh, exhibit you showcased in your release to the press, which is the Apiary Studio. Yes, Apiary. So tell us about their. Um, it looks. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing non-traditional uh, designs in these renderings, which is good. You know, I think the the show always has to mature and evolve. Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. So I'll speak to that briefly, and then I'll speak to Apiary. So you know, I think the best uh, curated elements of the flower show have a mix of everything, right? We should have a couple of gardens that are really telling the story of what's happening in gardening, you know, design in, in America or worldwide. We should have some beautiful classic flower show gardens. They should be both fun and thought provoking. I feel like this year's assemblage does that. Apiary Studio is one of my, my favorites. Uh, they're local based here in Philadelphia and have been exhibiting with us. This will be their third year. But they really are, if you're a perennial person, they have incredible plant palettes. They push the edge with their, you know, matrices. Um, they've got great plant layout style. And their exhibit actually looks at roadside ecology, right? So they sort of took the American road trip and extrapolated, you know, plant material that we see in disturbed edges or on the side of the road or all these places if we've ever been on a road trip that we've passed and they're sort of recreating a garden statement with uh, plant material that's hard to find, uh, hard to force, uh, still beautiful, but really kind of giving you something different in terms of perennial gardens. I think we should segue right into Kelly Norris after that, uh, because there are some similarities, and it appears she is a, a brand-new exhibitor. Yeah, so Kelly Norris is a gentleman out of Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, another one of my favorites. Kelly is brand new this year, but um, as a perennial gardener myself, I have all of Kelly's books and have had them since before the show. So we worked with Kelly, tried to get him in a couple of years. It worked out this year. And you're absolutely right. Kelly and Apiary Studio both independently arrived at their garden statements. Kelly is looking more at sort of like disturbed soils and abandoned lots and kind of, you know, re-examining these particular spaces as garden, you know, output, right, as, as beautiful collections of plants. Kelly is a true plant person. He's a wonderful speaker. If anybody ever gets the chance to see him speak or check him out online um, and, and really knows plants and horticulture and his garden will feature kind of all sorts of really hard to force plants that, quite frankly, we, we don't really see at the flower show very often, just giving the time. So, Real horticultural diversity coming out of Kelly's garden and focused on disturbed soils and how plants kind of take over after soil and lots have been disturbed. Now, as you know, when you look at first at the rendering and then I'm sure in person, your eye is drawn to a dead tree. <laughs> Let's be honest about that. A snag. Yes, indeed. Yes, um, 100%. And that's what Kelly does. Kelly will take kind of a concept and maybe turn it on its side, uh, you know, give you something that on its, uh, on its head, you might think, how's that going to work in a flower show garden? But having spent lots of time with him and on the phone, um, sort of looking at his plant lists, um, 
I think it's actually going to work quite nicely as a folly there. Still plenty of color in his garden, though. But for him, he's raising the issue of, you know, snags in their process and how they sort of become future habitat and actually play a critical role in a garden. Yeah, and once you get over kind of the shock, um, you notice all these remarkable plantings and uh, kind of urban lots that have been tended brilliantly all around it. And I, yeah, hope, I think I hope when the sh- when the exhibit is finished, that there'll be a little placard or explanation about how good it is to leave snags in lots and in gardens and near your house because they are a perfect place um, for many beneficial birds and dozens, if not hundreds of living creatures that can really bring so much life to your garden. That's actually central to his exhibit, and I do I believe he will have uh, takeaways. Kelly's a, kind of an educator garden designer, so, you know, when you're not every time I, I talk to Kelly, I learn a new word uh, in garden <laughs> vocabulary. Um, the the my favorite word lately is ruderal. Kelly uses this word ruderal a lot, and uh, yeah, the the tree in that center space there, big snag, uh, but you know really important to garden ecology and uh, something you might see. And you know even if he's not necessarily advocating, you know, put a, a snag in your garden you might look at these elements and be a little more informed about how they play an important role in a garden. And uh, that little perspective shift is always kind of fun. You know, you learn something, you have a great takeaway. Um, One of my favorite parts about uh, major exhibitor gardens. You know, and I think with the new popularity of hugel culture, you know, Mm. using wood as the building uh, block for the bottom of your garden, People are more aware of this is where soil comes from. That tree is going to be home to so many species, and then it's going to give its dirt back to the earth. That's exactly right. Yes, indeed. Um, That's exactly. If if Kelly was here right now, he would be cheering at this conversation. (laughs) He would. I've heard him say we're dead on the mark, so um, we're setting him up for success. Excellent. Now, I want to move on to Robertson's flowers. Now we're talking Philadelphia flower show. Robbins has been, Robertson's, has been an institution for almost 100 years on, oh, out there in Germantown, on Germantown Avenue? Yes, on Germantown, right at the top of the hill. And... I've appeared there many times. I've just wandered in there many times as a, a gawker and a, a walker in the area. And they put on a flower show every day. You know, their displays yeah. are just magnificent. Robertson's is a flower show classic, a fan favorite. Um, we were disappointed they had to take a break for a couple of years. Um, I, I, I get asked about them all the time. They've done the show, I mean, for generations, literally, right? This is a, a Philadelphia tradition. And they're back for the first time in three years, I believe. Um, and, you know, whenever I tell that to people, I think people immediately know, great, what I love about the flower show, Robertson delivers, they're going to be there. I'm going to see classic, beautiful, you know, floral output 
from a major exhibitor. So we're excited to have them back, and uh, their design is going to be spectacular this year. A major exhibitor who is perhaps more local um, yeah, than local much can local. be. And I yeah, see right? the – they are – Go ahead. They are of, I mean, this is Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia, four generations, a mainstay of our community. So very much like, you know, kind of one of ours right here on the show floor. And I noticed that the central um, look in their exhibit is a tribute to the love sculpture. Yeah, they have. It's attributed to the love sculpture. Um, They also are taking that with a bit of a twist. Like in my early conversations with them, they were really talking about geometry and geometric shapes and sort of how shapes and geometry creates a sense of like literal connection. They talked about, you know, symmetry and flower petals and rings of trees. Um, So that was one of the things that you'll see in their garden that's kind of informing, you know, the the shapes and the sculptures that you'll see. Uh, And then they also have... Uh, it's based around a tablescape, essentially, this grand, you know, extraordinary tablescape, because literally people come together over tables. Uh, so you see these different references, shapes in, neighbor, uh, shapes in nature, uh, kind of centered around a tablescape. Um, and it's this big kind of, you know, statement on connection through flowers, essentially. Yeah. When you've got Robertson's and you've got the love sculpture and you're in Philadelphia, what are you missing? A soft pretzel stand? I mean, a statue of Billy Penn? What? I mean, it's everything. Yeah, I know. I got to see if I can get somebody, maybe a florist can uh, do a uh, a life-size statue of Billy Penn. I love that. Maybe we'll do that next year, actually. There we go. Just take the one off City Hall for a while. Nobody will miss it. Are they using it? They don't need it, right? We can right. borrow it. It's and right you, down there. And you can't see it with all the skyscrapers. So, you know. I agree with you. I think, you know what? Let's call the mayor and say we had a great idea for next year's <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah. We just need a big helicopter, a really big one. Mike, I'm going to let you handle that one. Yeah. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that my appearance at the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Hartford Convention Center is right around the corner. I'll answer your garden questions live and in person on Friday afternoon, February 23rd. And then I'll edumacate you about tomato growing, composting, and raised bed building on Saturday the 24th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with the right ways to use coffee grounds in your garden and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, what are the truths behind how to use coffee grounds in the garden and when to avoid using them? I'll give you a hint. If you have slug problems, you won't want to miss this question of the week. 
But first, let's dig back into my interview with the Philadelphia Flower Show's Seth Pearsall, because we're not done talking about the show yet. Now, I noticed the last entry in some of the press material you sent us that shows renderings of the exhibits to be is a giant oversized photo of a bee where you can see all the semi-microscopic levels, all the little feathers, all the things you never see in nature. And this is going to be a display by the U.S. Geological Survey team? Yes, the Interagency Bee Lab, um, a new uh, exhibit this year, Does Your Garden Support Bees? So basically the U.S. Geological Survey team, this particular part of that team, um, is advocating for gardens to support local wild bees. They know everything there is to know about local wild bees, the plants that support it, the ecosystems they need. They're a hoot to talk to, uh, very passionate. And I learned from them, I didn't know this before, that there are, are actually over 500 species of bees, native wild bees in our region. Um, so they've got tons of photography that you know they've taken with their you know precision cameras it looks otherworldly it's beautiful it's stunning Um, and then that place is just chock full of information so bring a notebook bring a pen because you're going to be taking a lot of notes over there always bring a notebook to the flower show and i can tell you this is going to be a very popular exhibit uh because the the trend towards native plants for native bees and the importance of native bees has been growing exponentially every year. Yeah, I was on a um, was fortunate enough to be on a talk with them two weeks ago and um, was literally, you know, presenting my stuff as well, but taking notes on the side because I was so fascinated. Um, it was information, and I'm I'm in the industry, but it was information about pollinators and plant lists and lawns and you know what one needs to do to foster local native wild bees it was information i hadn't seen or come across in you know in my wandering so it felt fresh and um was like blown away by just how specific their knowledge was and uh, i can tell you that the questions that come into the show are the ones that revolve around what plants can I grow to support native bees have grown exponentially over the past few mm. years. So there's indeed, a lot indeed. of interest. Now let's get yeah, back. Very much so. Let's get back to the basics, man. The show let's go. The show opens on March second. Now you know I don't have a calendar in front of me. Is that a uh, Friday or Saturday? So the show opens on March 2nd. I'm going to pull up my calendar here. We've got preview party, which takes place on March 2nd. Saturday, I believe, is March 3rd. March 2nd's preview. Sorry, March 2nd is Saturday. So the show opens on March 2nd, Saturday. Members, PHS members, get the preview window on Friday, March 1st. But to the public, the show opens Saturday, March 2nd. It's going to be spectacular. Okay, and it runs until the 10th, and people are always asking me for tips. 
and I think you'll agree, try not to go on one of the Sundays. And Sundays are big days. And don't and, and this is not, you know, the flower show is going to do well on Sunday no matter what. But if you want the opportunity to get up close to these exhibits and maybe even have a conversation with the exhibitors, the best times are in the early afternoon during the week, right? Absolutely. Um, also, you know, another another really, really fun time is if you come, I know it's hard for people, but if you can come right when the show opens, um, you know, everybody's done, cleaned up their exhibits, but a lot of times you can see, you know, designers wandering, chatting with one another. That morning time is really when the designers have prepped their spaces for the day and uh, there's usually not a lot of crowds. It's really, really peaceful. Great way to start the day. So that's another little pro tip. And then this year, we also have a twilight ticket, which is a specially priced ticket for the evening. Um, evenings also during the week are a really, really fun time uh, to come to the show. It's, it's a good pace. It's a really nice energy at the show. Crowds have mostly dispersed. And you can get around pretty easily and see everything. And one thing I want to remind people of is whatever time you get to the show, before you go look at anything, get your hand stamped because then you can wander the show. And if it seems crowded to you, you can go over to the Reading Terminal and have lunch or you can wander into Chinatown, which is literally right next door and have a fabulous meal and then as long as you have that hand stamped you can come as go come and go as you want all day long absolutely that's the right way to do it get your hand stamped take a little break go grab a sandwich from reading uh, i go get ramen uh, over in chinatown some of my favorite restaurants right around the corner from mm-hmm. the convention center and then you come back for round two and uh what a great day out I'll meet you at the Reading Terminal uh, for Tommy Denix. Um, that's my place. I will see you there, my friend. Okay. Beef with broccoli, Rob. Yes, yes. You know it well. You've been there. You've oh, been yeah. There. Yeah, I'm a Philadelphian. <laughs> All sure. right. We have the – oh, and we should mention, because I don't think I've said it yet, uh, the show will be at the Pennsylvania Convention Center in Center City at uh, 12th and Race Street, I think, is where the entrances are. That's right. Uh, And then if you're coming up through SEPTA, Jefferson Station takes you right there. You come up the stairs, and uh, plenty of signs taking you right into the convention center. So easy to get to uh, and at home at the convention center right in Center City. And if you are going to drive, don't try to get close to the show. Park on the perimeter and walk the last three or four blocks, unless you want to see how long it can actually take a light to turn from red to green. Yeah, I think also sage advice. Uh, You park a little ways out, you can usually find parking. It's usually cheaper, and, uh, you know, three blocks goes quick when you're on your way to the flower show. Yeah, and you can stare at the people who've been sitting at the same light for an hour. (laughs) Yeah, and no, that's not you. You're going faster than them. I love it. All right, Seth Pearsall, creative director of the Philadelphia Flower Show. Thanks for being on You Bet Your Garden today, and have a great show. Thanks so much. Uh, Looking forward to seeing everybody at the show, and appreciate your time. We'll see you in March. Okay, very good. Thanks, Seth. 
as promised, as inevitable, as always, it's time for the question of the week, which we're calling Tall Tales and Rumors, How to Really Use Coffee Grounds in the Garden. Master Gardener Carol in Marshfield, Missouri writes, I came across an article on a, quote, rural website that says not to use coffee grounds in the garden. The author cites some studies, but I'm not convinced. I know that you advocate including coffee grounds in your compost, but the author also says that caffeine is allopathic and harmful to plants and worms. Well, you seem to have veered off the trustworthy Internet site path. I clicked on the link you provided, which I expected to contain the musings of a rural gardener. But instead, it consisted of multiple boxes of what I would call clickbait. One warned five reasons you should never use coffee grounds in your garden. But the box next to it read, 27 uses for coffee grounds in the garden you'll actually want to try. The question of coffee grounds being acidic has long been the leader of the pack in this kind of discussion. It turns out that reliable sources agree that brewed coffee itself is highly acidic, but that we coffee drinkers retain most of that acidity, making the pH of spent coffee grounds just a little bit below neutral. Starbucks rates the grounds in their giveaway Grounds for Your Garden program at 6.8 on the pH scale with seven, of course, being neutral. The lowest pH claimed by other sources seems to be around 6.2. But any brewed liquid left over in the pot would be highly acidic, with a pH just above or right below 5. And that's enough to make plants like azaleas and blueberries very happy and to make your hydrangeas bloom a bright blue. Same goes for unused coffee grounds. They are highly acidic. I have always maintained that coffee grounds of any kind are nitrogen-rich, and excess nitrogen makes plants grow big but can suppress flowering. In my mind, this makes late winter, early spring the best time to use coffee grounds as fertilizer, especially for spring-blooming plants. Their buds were set long before, so adding nitrogen at that point in time will feed the plants without interfering with flowering. However, some sources suggest that the nitrogen in coffee grounds is released slowly over time, which would make the timing of this application a little looser. I will also add that researching any part of this topic will leave you dazed and confused with lots of contradictory advice, opinion, and garden mythology. Coffee grounds have also long been hailed as a slug repellent when applied to the surface of the soil. But according to research at Oregon State University, a liquid form is the real deal, specifically a 2% solution of spent coffee grounds in water. When used as a soil drench, this will detour and kill slugs. First, it chases them away. Then they slowly die of caffeine poisoning. 
I was surprised to find some controversy about the effect of coffee grounds on worms, with one article warning that a small percentage of the earthworms that find their way into your caffeinated compost pile will perish unless there's lots of shredded paper in that pile? Say what? This same article warns against using coffee grounds in a standard worm bin, as the red wigglers used in worm bins are also sensitive to caffeine and you'll lose some of your worm herd. Horse hockey, say I. Other sources point out that earthworms like coffee grounds so much they pull them deeper into the soil, where the worms spend much of their time. My personal experience over 35 years and hundreds of piles is that coffee grounds are one of the best things to add to shredded leaves or other dry shredded plant material to supply the nitrogen-rich, quote, wet greens that will combine with those dry browns to create excellent compost. Just follow the basic rule of 25 to 40 parts of shredded leaves to 5 to 10 parts of wet greens. Yeah, I know the coffee grounds aren't green, but they still provide the nitrogen and other nutrients necessary to get the shredded browns to compost quickly. And because the composting does happen fast, you're making hot compost the kind that helps plants resist or defeat disease. Speaking of disease, an article by Japanese researchers published in the journal Plant Signaling and Behavior explains that caffeine's, quote, role is to strengthen plants' defense capabilities both directly as a toxicant to biologic attackers, which is where the allopathy comes from, and indirectly as an activator of defense systems. In short, their experiments found that caffeine fought off many of the worst underground pathogens that attack plants. To sum up, you should give priority to regular kitchen scraps in a worm bin, but always be sure to add some coffee grounds as a treat for your wormies. Small amounts of aged or composted coffee grounds are recommended for direct use in the garden as opposed to fresh grounds. And you'll get better results if you cover those grounds with a little bit of soil or compost to help them release their nutrients faster, the same way you would if you were using a granulated fertilizer. Don't add coffee grounds to indoor houseplants, period. Don't do it. And finally, as to their allopathic effect, coffee plants do release compounds into the soil that can interfere with the growth of nearby plants. But there is great controversy about their grounds. The best advice is to let the grounds age or compost first and don't allow them to touch any plant stems. Well, that sure was a lot of up-to-date info about coffee grounds in the garden now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read this awesome advice over at your leisure or your leisure at the Gardens Alive section of the Gurney's website. Just type Gurney's, that's G-U-R-N-E-Y-S, 
and the words You Bet Your Garden into your favorite search engine. Yikes, my producer is threatening to decaffeinate my coffee if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse of a question to, and this is a new one, M-I-K-E-M-C-G at ptd.net. That's Mike McGee at peterthomasdavid.net. As always, please include your location and your phone number. You'll find all of our updated contact information, plus audio of this show, audio and video of previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he saw the film Casablanca for the very first time. Ken, I look out for nobody queeter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is the shocked, shocked Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is will always have Paris, Christine Dempsey. Our engineer, cheerful Charlie Sarah, well, he never saw the movie. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and keep up with what's happening with the show, including our updated contact information at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Jasmine Griffin. Our irreplaceable audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Zach the Takwisneski, well, he has a Casablanca tattoo. Ducky the Dancing Duck says there weren't enough waterfowl in this film. Our croupier is Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll walk off into the fog and the rain until I can see you again next week. Many supplement labels and herbalists make suspicious claims for cure-all botanicals. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, I'll discuss a plant that really can prevent and even cure a surprising number of troublesome conditions. And its flowers are gorgeous, plus your gorgeous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.